Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 29. That is a way to reinvent education, as in how can we help these students discover their voice? And how can we help them use that language they're learning to discover their voice and the power of their voice and the power of the stories that they deserve to tell? And how we can turn the school into a place where we can start creating stories and we can start creating narratives of change. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hello, teachers and educators, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. Oh, man. Wow. Cover a lot of ground in this episode uh, with Dr. Raul Mora, um, all the way down in Colombia, joining us today. And uh, yeah, what a great conversation. Um, Really, just a a great conversation to get your gears turning, hopefully. Um, You know, I would say a majority of you listening probably are not uh, English as a second language or... uh, foreign language teachers, but uh, a lot of what we talk about today um, has so much more to do than just tactics on how to teach those subjects. Uh, It's a lot of uh, mindset around uh, just teaching in general um, and really how language has developed and how we can use it to not only engage our students, but uh, give them a reason uh, for learning what they're learning. Um, and he also, he drops uh, some absolute gold in his exit ticket questions. So I want to make sure that you stick around for that. Uh, as always, everything that we talk about in this episode can be found on our show notes page. You can find those at jabadoo.com slash show 29. Uh, on there, you will also find uh, affiliate links to any of the books that are mentioned today, as well as some Jabadoo original teacher tees, which are uh, something that we had designed a few months back. And um, they're just great quotes put on a t-shirt so that you can uh, show your teacher pride uh, and also obviously uh, support this show in the process of purchasing one of those. Um, we also have a newsletter that I send out weekly, really just a reminder that uh, these episodes are coming out so uh, you don't <laughs> you don't forget about them. And then lastly, uh, we do have a Facebook group as well as Facebook page, a Twitter profile, and I am going to do my best <laughs> to get on the Instagram page or Instagram train. Uh, so you can go ahead and follow us. All of those uh, tags are at Jabadoo. Um, and again, links are on our show notes page, jabadoo.com slash show 29. All right, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Raul Mora. All right, on today's episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast, I'm sitting down with Dr. Raul Alberto Mora. Uh, he is a associate professor of English education and literacy studies down in Universidad Portificia Bolivariana. Did I get it? You got down it. Down in Colombia. We are mm-hmm. traveling down to uh, South America Day. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Dr. Mora, a.k.a. Dr. Barry. Uh, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. I mean, it's been... I mean, I'm kind of like the last is on my break, so I'll I'll head back. I mean, we start to go back to um university on Tuesday, and then one week later we start classes again. So I'm just gonna enjoy the last two days 
of this um, short winter break. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at you very jealous. So every, everybody who's listening who can't see this, he's sitting, there's some nice sunshine coming through the window behind you. You've got these beautiful green plants behind you. It just looks very relaxing. <laughs> I love the plants. I mean, I got it. That that's just my wife. I mean, that's that's her garden. I'm just in, I just enjoy the scenery. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like a good husband. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Giving credit where where credit is due. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for for uh, taking the time to sit down with me today. Um, we're going to dive into. Um, of course, all of your work uh, that you're doing with uh, students with uh, secondary language acquisition, um, and we'll dive into that. But uh, can we start from the beginning? Um, who was <laughs> who was Raul the student? Uh, what was your experience in in school coming through? Oh well, how far back do you want me to go? Because I mean, <laughs> so, no, I no, mean, no. Where, where did you? I can go back. I can I can go for me. I can go far back all the way to my childhood. Or I could just start in college, or I could just go with grad school. I mean, how how far back do you want me to go? Let Let's go all the way back because I, the oh, my okay. listeners are uh, kindergarten all the way through twelfth grade. Oh, okay. Um, well, teachers. So. so okay, so probably the first thing I have to be uh, very forthcoming is I I skipped kindergarten. I went straight to the first grade. So pre K, the pre K teachers, I apologize. <laughs> I got uh, right now at this particular part of the show, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> Because I didn't do pre-K, but I mean, my, I, I think part of that was my parents were very much invested in my literacy development from the beginning. Okay. So that was a key part. My, my parents were deeply invested in my literacy development. Um, and I think even that got me into, the, into one of the journeys, which is the journey of learning a second language, the yeah. journey of learning English. It's kind of like this the parallel journey of going through school and then the development of my second language um, because I kind of started being, I started well school when I was five, but then I started kind of learning English when I was nine. Um, and I remember that time my dad got me some records with um, this language, uh, this English course. So I got these long, this, you know, this records, this vinyl yeah. and these textbooks, <laughs> sorry. And that's how it all started. Um, and then that dovetailed with high school. Um, and then along, as, I, as I was going to high school, there's also TV, so television. Mm-hmm. Um, satellite Dish came to Colombia. And I'm talking about, you know, a long time ago, I'm talking about 1984, 1985. Um, and I bring that up because a lot, of the, a lot of what happened to me when I was watching TV um, became a lot of my, has, has informed a lot of my work okay. and has informed a lot of what I do as a teacher. And a lot of what I did when I was a school teacher. So uh, I cannot, I cannot say uh, the compartmentalize, uh, compartmentalize this whole thing of no, they all, I mean, they all come together. So they're gonna come, they come together at different points in my journey. So I remember when I was in, um, I was a teenager. We got the uh, satellite dish, and I started watching TV. Uh, a lot of Disney Channel, a lot of wrestling. Um, so <laughs> wrestling has been a part of my life since I was 12. Um, and But one of the things that I became interested in was um, I felt that I needed to work on my English because I wanted to pick up what was going on TV. I was like watching sports and I had no idea what was going on. I couldn't understand the commentators at the first. I mean, I was like, okay, I want to, so I, I mean, I, and I felt that that, as I reflected back um as, an, as a teacher educator and as a school teacher and then as a researcher, that that became instrumental because 
it's like this whole idea that what is the need that we have and what need do we have right now and what need do we have for the future uh, when it comes to languages. So those things came like this need and that need started fueling me. And at the end of high school, that kind of started fueling me into what came next, what, which was um, my decision to major in um, education, in, modern, in language education, because I mean, my, my BA is in modern language education. I majored in English, I majored in French. Okay. Um, that wasn't my first career choice. I started as, I started as an engineering major. <laughs> One year later, I realized my, my heart wasn't there. And give credit, as you said, give credit, but credit still, I have to give credit to my family. My parents were very supportive. I mean, supportive at the same time, demanding, kind of like, yeah, gonna give you one more chance to buy the ship. Yeah. Uh, and, but the good thing when I, when I decided to make, to move to education, um, it was easy because I, fe I felt a little support. So a lot of my friends from high school and my family, they're like, yeah, you, um, you're on the right path. You made the right choice. So that, that kind of reaffirmed yeah, of course. the idea that I decided to major in language education. And so that was my college, that was my college trajectory. So that initial path of high school and, uh, and college was intersected with all these process of learning the language and trying to master the language and starting to realize, okay, what is it that you need in order to master the language? And of course, um, as I reflect back, certain obsessions I had, like, I mean, too much obsession with accent of dropping the accent and um, that I think was part of the zeitgeist uh, of the time, this idea that you should not speak with an accent, so to speak, hmm. um, which later in my career, I, I turned into advocacy for uh, international scholars and second language learners. Um, so that would be my initial um, trajectory as a student. Then I was a school teacher for nine years um, until it was time to start thinking of grad school. I applied for a Fulbright scholarship. Uh, I got Fulbright and I went to the United States in 2000 to, um, to start my master's degree. Okay. Um, at the so I'll life. pause you there for a second because I want to. I just want to dive in then on those nine years that where you were a teacher. Mm -hmm. So were you teaching English then? Mm -hmm. You were teaching English to students in Colombia. Yeah, I was. Okay. In a, yeah, I was one, one, at the time. I mean, what they still call it, but at the time I would call myself an EFL teacher, an English as a foreign language teacher. Okay. Now I would say at the time because again, as I said, all these the journey intersects. Um, Part of my recent job, my recent work, um, and my part of my job now is being to, uh, has been contesting um, those frameworks like second language, foreign language, and mm -hmm. problematizing them as a political and geopolitical and social political event. Okay. Not necessarily as a because not necessarily as a cognitive event, but as a social political event. Uh, but yeah, at the time I was an I mean, I would call myself an EVL teacher. Uh, I started teaching when I was 19 years old. So 19, wow. Um, yeah, and so I, I definitely don't look. I definitely didn't look much like a teacher. Uh, <laughs> well, that, there's a reason why 19, you skipped kindergarten then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess. I mean, I didn't look much like a teacher. Um, I, I mean, is that, on the one is hand, because I was, oh, no, because I was really young. And you're that young, you don't look like a teacher. And second, I don't think I had fully developed. Um, what I like to call a teaching persona. I, I don't think I had really embodied, oh, I'm a teacher. I mean, that came mm -hmm. out a little later. 
in How, my What were like the age of the students that you were teaching? Um, when I first started, they were children, like ages seven to 12. Okay. That makes it yeah. a lot easier than trying and to teach then, high yeah. schoolers so where started, you're only a few years yeah. removed. I mean, I, no, I mean, my first two years, my first three years of teaching were um, mostly in language centers. So I was teaching English to some children and adults. Um, then around 1997, I decided to um, give high school, I mean, school teaching a chance. And I taught for five years. Okay, gotcha. gotcha, gotcha. Um, in two schools, in, in two local schools in Medellin. Um, now, and then I was working with teenagers. Um, mm -hmm. And like, you know, I, I've been talking about juniors and seniors in high school mostly. Um, mm -hmm. Soft, like, freshman, freshman and sophomore, middle, I mean, like high school, high schoolers. Mm -hmm. um, and also at the same time, I started, I was also teaching language, uh, the language centers. Um, so I would work with adults, I would work with children, with teenagers. So I had, let's say as a teacher, I had a, I had a, a fairly decent overview. Yeah. I was going to say- what it's as, like to be in a classroom. Yeah. So two things that I'll, I'll kind of dive into. One was, um, do you see, a difference, a large difference between the age groups of, is it easier for younger kids to acquire a second language? Obviously there's different strategies to teaching uh, younger kids versus older kids, but what were some of those main differences um, that you saw? Well, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is that um, sometimes we pay too much attention to age. Um, hmm. And no, we put too much attention to age in the sense of we want them to start learning really early, um, but it's like, why? And that's the big question. I mean, it's, I, I think it's a good idea to start, but you have to, but there has to be a good rationale for it. Um, and understanding that if a child starts at four or at seven or at 10, um, at the end of the day, they're gonna learn. So that if you're gonna get in, they're gonna have the impetus. I mean, do it in a way that does not that you start at four, they don't, they don't, you don't tune them out by the time they're twelve. Sure. Um, now, the obviously the other age, the other differences is, would, I would say it's the um, the kind of language that you're gonna use and some of the some of the content that you're going to so you're going to incorporate, um, meaning that the language will have to be simplified when you work with the younger learners, right. but. Right. But, but but one of the things that you want to keep in mind as a, as a language teacher is provide challenges to your students. Because sometimes we have this assumption that just because they're four, um, they can't think. That just because they're four, they can't express themselves. That just because they're four, they're incapable of being critical or yeah. thinking critically about the world or thinking critically about even their own surroundings when there is plenty of research and obviously we'll get to the point of research later <laughs> yeah. that says, no, that speaks to the contrary. So I would say, first of all, always make it challenging and always make it engaging regardless of the age. Um, I and guess that would be I, the reason I brought that up is because uh, at least in my experience in the United States, you know, that's, you know, obviously that's the filter that I have as I'm looking at this through my experience, but most foreign language opportunities or secondary language opportunities in the United States are in middle school and high school. You don't get that very often with those younger grades. So I was curious if there was uh, a significant difference in, in starting that earlier or not. Well, it, it, I mean, and that is, and that is, I mean, I mean, nobody's saying that isn't. Um, there is a difference, but what I'm saying is that we shouldn't be so obsessed with 
starting early because I think sometimes there's too much pressure into starting early and that pressure it's more like parents and external organizations and not necessarily children that would not even get children's input we just kind of force them in sometimes we just shove them into language class and I that's when I started thinking is that would that be counterproductive sure because then obviously how do we how do we weigh that how do we weigh that in how do we put down a scale scale that up and figure it out um and the other thing is there is no right or wrong answer in that sense i mean when it comes to learn a language whenever you start i mean if you're going to be keeping it realistic um whenever you start is a good moment uh, that, no, <laughs> that's I mean, what I say yes, about learning music. The sooner, too. the sooner you start, yes, it has it pays dividends. Yeah. But if you start later in life, um, you should not, um, you know, punish yourself for that or flagellate or self-flagellate for that. Because sometimes sure. that's one of the things I've noticed in like in this whole um, conversation about language learning is that if you start later in life, then um, there's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame involved in that, hmm. and that is not good either. Sure, of course. So if yeah. you have the opportunity to start early, go for it. But if it's if it's something that happens later in life, embrace it. I mean, there is I don't think there is a, there is a right age to start. I mean, in yeah. although there is a there are some theories in language acquisition that say the optimal age is before nine, before twelve. Uh, Sure. When you get uh, start 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 when you get pregnant. I mean, start teaching when you get pregnant. I mean, that there there are so <laughs> many. No, there are so many schools uh, yeah. of thought, and it's one of the things that sometimes I have to as a teacher educator is kind of sift through those all those um all those beliefs and say, sure. well, yeah, some of them are true, some of them aren't, and guide the teachers into be careful with the advice you provide and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what would be your stance on some of these uh, apps and programs that are coming out that are all digital in terms of saying, you know, I know Babbel's a, a popular one for the longest time. It was Rosetta Stone. You've got Duolingo. Um, is, is there obviously, you know, some of those that are free, that's a great place to start. Do you find success in some of those programs in, in terms um, of using it in the schooling system? I, yeah. I mean, I would not solely depend on one of those apps, but I am a firm believer that practice. And I guess, yeah, it's kind of like, kind of, it's kind of <laughs> like what Alan Iverson once said. We're talking about practice. practice. As a practice. Philly fan, we're I, I about, appreciate yeah, yeah, that. We're, we're talking about practice. <laughs> I mean, here we're talking about practice. Right. And that is the key to this whole thing. Of course. Practice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a little, yeah. I mean, I thought yeah. I had to go with Alan Iverson because. I love it. I love it. I don't know. I've that, got a lot that, of Philadelphia is, listeners too. So that's perfect. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to everyone in Philly. Um, no. and But it's, 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 it's that. And when it comes yeah. to languages, we are talking about practice. Um, the more you practice, the more you learn. Um, so if you have, you do this thing with the app, then yeah, use the app, but then also take advantage of other opportunities. And you could, at this point, you can ask like, yeah, but what opportunities um, do I have learning language X in Well, like you said, you, you started by having TV and you were listening yeah, to and, and TV. Yeah, so, and I think right now when you have all these possibilities for social media, you have all these um, possibilities to communicate. Plenty of opportunities. Um, and, and, and I see like, for example, um, like here in, the, in, in our city, you see all these different communities that are organizing themselves mm -hmm. for language learning. So you have people coming and we're also researching about that in our, in our, in our research lab. Mm -hmm. 
um, people coming together in coffee shops and practicing languages. Um, and, and then you have the social media, then you have fan yes. groups, and then you yeah. have, I mean, it's just, you can say, yeah, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a lot of people who speak that language in my physical surrounding, then expand your surrounding into the virtual place. And you're going to mm -hmm. realize that there are more people, that there are video game communities, that there are fan groups, that are comics communities, that are people who are practicing multiple languages and playing with that in different spaces. So go find, so um, find something you like and, and, and start exploring what's happening with that thing you like in that language you want to learn. And you'd be, and you may be surprised. I mean, how many options you might find if you just start digging uh, apps. So I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with apps. Um, I have a problem with over reliance on one thing. That's I, fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't have a problem to tell me I am using apps to learn languages. And I know, and I heard about success stories of people learning two or three languages through Duolingo. And I had heard success stories of people using that motto and developing their language competence. As I've had success stories of people who went to a regular brick and mortar language institute and they learned. And I or have somebody who went who, to Europe for three months. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, as people who just went backpacking and they learned and people who just learned watching TV. And then we have the mm -hmm. stories. I mean, again, my stories are like TV from the 1980s and people, and I, and I met students in the 1990s who learned watching MTV and Unfortunately, sure. yeah. some of them started, some of them picked up a really the bad wrong habit words. of listening. No, not the bad words. They were just <laughs> watching too much movies in Butthead. So you can imagine how, you can imagine what they sounded. <laughs> yeah, sound like, sound exactly like that. Oh, so, man. But, but if you go all the way back and you talk to our grandparents and our parents, and then you hear stories of people who learned English uh, listening to the Beatles. Of course. And yeah. then you hear stories about people in Latin, people who learned English just by watching Voice of America. So that's mm. it. So it, what I think what it comes down to is this, 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 this story, you hear the, all these success stories. And I think what we have to thread around those success stories is what drove me to that? What propelled me there? And when you realize that what propelled me there was a, was a need, was a reason, was um was a purpose and i think once you find the need the purpose that drives because sometimes it's I, they, I see a lot of language teaching that has no purpose i see a, and it's devoid of a purpose so we we, te we we want to push the languages but what is the point why do why do you want to learn those languages you want i mean what is that what is the real need and i'm not talking about going to college and i'm not talking about getting the job and i'm not talking about backpacking in europe i'm talking about yeah, that's that is fine. That's all fine and dandy. But what's happening now? What is happening today? Like I go back and recall my experience watching TV, and I'm like, yeah, I had a need. I mean, when I was learning English, I wasn't thinking. I can honest to God say that nowhere in my radar was there the goal of oh, I'm gonna start learning English now so I can do my PhD at a right. Big Ten a Big Ten school like. No, <laughs> that was nowhere. No, yeah. I'll, I'll be, no, no, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be lying to you and the audience if I said, no, 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 I had, I had this figured out. I had this plan all along since I was, since I was well, nine. You just said you were, uh, you my were, parents, uh... my parents already knew that they wanted me to become an alumni. No, 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 that's, that's not how it went. That's not how it happened. 
what happened was at the time now do i see a connection between tv and what happened later sure of course, sure because yeah. when i was watching tv at the age of 12 i started watching a lot of college basketball mm. and i started looking at that and i started you know and i actually became a fan of big 10 basketball because i really like the style so I, I I knew I knew about Indiana and I knew about Wisconsin and I knew about the Ohio State University and I, <laughs> and I knew about the final Illini. So and then so when I applied to school and I went to grad school and people told me oh the University of Illinois is actually a really good school like I already knew the basketball team I already knew about the final Illini. So it was it wasn't that it wasn't something that it was so abstract in my imagination that oh I never heard of this place no I heard I've heard of that school. So it wasn't that I was yeah. complete. I was completely oblivious to the existence mm -hmm. of the university. So do I see the connection there? Sure, but that's something that is more serendipity than something. I'd say nine-year-old yeah, Raúl yeah. was think was plotting at sure. nine. No, <laughs> at not at nine. I just went to learn at twelve. I just wanted to really check. I really wanted to pay attention to the wrestling promos, <laughs> and I wanted I wanted to be able to follow the commentary from yeah. Big Vital because he speaks so fast that it's impossible to keep track of it. <laughs> I would I wanted to check out Big I mean I check the commentary by Big Vital and then ESPN and all the sports. So there was a need. There was that the need, need. Yeah. That need translated into something else. Yeah, it so translated. Then it translated into my life, and then that need, that desire I had when I was a teenager translated into my livelihood because then I was I was really keen on languages and I decided maybe I want to teach languages mm -hmm. and that became the next stage and then oh, after that I want to continue my professional development maybe I'm just gonna go to the U.S. and go um, and yeah. go to school and well, that later so became and that later became my professor and that later brought me into my into what has um you know guided my professorial career so there is a connection but it's something that kind of it starts kind of falling into place as you go. Yeah, of course. So uh, anybody who is uh, in the United States and is a teacher of second languages, there you go. Just find find the thing that is the immediate need. Why why do these students students need this language now? Um, so I, I I love that. Uh, but it's a it's a great transition too. Uh, obviously, you know, you did end up going to uh, Illinois University, or is it the University of Illinois? I don't know what those uh, Big Ten schools do. <laughs> well, um, I think the only one who's, who's attached to the to the, to the uh, article is Ohio State. The other I think ones so. were, uh, they're very cool about it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, so uh, take us through then um, your PhD program and then obviously coming back to Columbia and what you're doing now. Um, I'm just I'm looking at the clock, actually, and I'm going to say let's let's push forward uh, to actually what you're doing right now with uh, the LSLP. So tell us what that stands <laughs> for, um, oh, where absolutely. that where that came from. Yeah, um, well, LSLP stands for Literacies in Second Language Project, um, and that's a research lab I lead. Uh, I mean, that part of it is at my university now, part of it is um, I'm working with teachers outside of the university. Um, and that kind of came as a result of my, of my PhD journey. So my, PhD, my PhD is in language and literacy. So I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm a literacy scholar. I do work mm -hmm. on literacy studies. And I, as I returned to Colombia, I felt like I really wanted to use all those theories that we talked about and all these things about curricular literacy and about multimodality and all these things about digital literacy and start bringing that into second language classrooms and into second language teaching in second language learning. And that's 
basically what the idea of literacy in second languages is. Okay. Conceptually, it's moving away from the traditional understanding of second language literacy, which is just read and write in another language. This is more, let's look at how these people are playing with literacy and literacy theory around the world. And let's create our own frameworks and let's bring them to our classrooms. And let's see what we can do with students. So we talk about multimodality as the create as creating a make a meaning making through messages that include all sorts of resources. Let's bring that into a sixth grade classroom in a public school and see what happens. Um, we are talking about critical literacy, about asking questions about society and and the world and everything in between. And let's see if there is one teacher bold enough to take that into her uh, preschool class. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I do for preschool teachers. Now I do have <laughs> something to tell you. <laughs> now I do have something for you. <laughs> now I do. Now I do. No, but um, so this project, uh, when it when it originated, you were working largely with uh, some urban education uh, populations, right? You were kind of looking mm-hmm. at um, language. Yes or no? Well, yes and no. Uh, so oh, okay. that's, that's <laughs> no. Um, so. We, I started the I started LSLP in 2012, um, and at first it was three. I had three students, um, and we started one project looking at um, all the. I mean, how people were playing with languages, English and other languages in the city. Um, and our first project, we went to malls, we went to supermarkets, we went hmm. to. Um, we went to restaurants, and then we started taking pictures of graffiti. Pictures of T-shirts, pictures of tattoos, and seeing how now, language interacted how with people, and how, no, and how people play with it. How people and just let's look at how people play with languages here, with what people do with them. Um, let's move past and again moving past with the judgmental, um, do you speak English question or how good is your English or we don't I mean we don't ask people about their level of English. We don't ask people if they took the TOEFL. <laughs> we we don't care less. <laughs> no, because sometimes if you start measuring language use through testing, a lot of stuff is going to fall through the cracks. Of course, of course. A lot of stuff is going to fall through the cracks. And we wanted to see what was falling through the cracks. Um, so, for example, if we meet someone with a tattoo in Arabic, uh, we're not going to ask the person, are you Arab? Right. <laughs> or do you speak Arabic? No. We're not even, I'm not even going to say, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> But I can ask the person, so tell me, tell me, so you got a tattoo in Arabic. Um, tell me the story behind that tattoo. And when I ask the person, tell me the story behind that tattoo, you're going to find that actually there is, a, I mean, even if they don't, they're not fully fluent in Arabic, there is a connection between the Arabic words and their family. And they say, oh, no, it's because my family, I mean, I'm a third generation immigrant from Lebanon. Uh, my parents moved, I mean, my grand, my great-grandparents moved from Lebanon in the 1950s. Uh, I don't speak the, but I still feel, I still feel connected to the motherland. And that's why I got a tattoo in Arabic. And I, for me, that story tells me more than asking the person, you speak Arabic. Sure, they mean, of course. Because it, it means, no, languages There's have ways to, to connect it. us. No, they have ways to connect us to different events and different things over the world. Um, so that's one line of work. Then, of course, there's the work we do in schools um, with school teachers, helping them 
um, bring this into classroom. And there's, of course, the work we do with video games. Um, so that's another another strength of work we do, where we're looking, we're working with gamers, gamers who are becoming school teachers. So I think that's an imp an important thing, that important thing. And teacher educators who are what listening to this, start to look, start looking for the gamers in your classroom. They are <laughs> they're already they are they're already there. They're hiding in plain sight, and some of them no. And this is this is this is the fact. Some of them are still trying to figure out. Can I still be a gamer and a teacher? Or do I have to forget about my gaming life when I'm teaching the class I'm teaching? Because I that my, my researcher in my team, they had that question. Uh, so when I become a teacher, do I have to let go of the, hmm. and I always say no? I mean, you don't we don't ask that when, when someone is an actor, we tell them, please bring drama into the class. Uh, when somebody's a musician, we say you can bring music. Why do we tell gamers, no, you cannot talk about gaming? I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, and, and they're very aware that they cannot bring the PlayStation. They cannot bring the computer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they can, no, <laughs> but the they actual... can, no, but no, but they can bring the gaming experience. Yeah, what it means to them. And and again, and, and going back to the question of the need, when we talked about, and we talked for a moment about the gaming experience, when we talked about, we started asking a question in the team is kind of like the chicken, we had the chicken and the egg question. Yeah, yeah. So, chicken and the egg question is, do gamers go to language or do language learners go to video games? And my team, they all, they were like, bro, gamers look for the language. Gamers develop the need for the language. So gamers are language learners. It's not the other way around. There is no other way around. They were very, they were adamant about it. Um, and that, Make, has it's one of those things that makes me realize okay, it's important to think about the fact that gamers are becoming teachers. We have gamers in our classrooms and we have gamers in our classrooms and in, in our middle school classrooms, in our high school classrooms. We have middle, we have now gamers in our pre-service teacher education programs. Sure. And we have to help them tap into that resource that is Bring it to, how, that's they the have. And how, gotta... they, and how they use language as part of the game and how they use language as part of the experience of the game and how they use language to win the game. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. So uh, this is the uh, LSLP has been around for a few years now. Um, and we were kind of chatting before, I, I think maybe the, the best way to kind of structure this out might be to look at, you know, your mission, your vision for uh, the LSL excuse me, LSLP, um, you kind of have three different things. One is revisiting space, rethinking language, and then reinventing education. So mm -hmm. uh, those three pillars, um, let's just dive into the first one. So revisiting space. I mean, mm -hmm. what does that mean in terms of language? Well, it, when, I talk, when we talk about revisiting, actually each of the three, um, there is, we have three teams at LSLP. Uh, and so kind of like, the three teams have kind of spearheaded one of the one of them. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, like one call we call Team CAL, which is Cities Literacy. That's the Urban Literacy Project. Cities Literacy. Okay. Um, then there is Team LAV. That's Language as Victory. That's the Gaming and Digital okay. Literacy Team. And then there is Team Twenty One in P Twenty, which is Twenty First Century Literacy in the P Twenty. And for people who are not familiar with the notion of P Twenty, that means from preschool all the way to graduate and continuing education. Mm, okay. 
So there is P12, P16, and then there is the, the one that covers the one, the all encompassing really? one is P20. Um, and we do P20 because I'm part of it, because I'm, 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 a, I'm a researcher as part of that. And since I'm teaching graduate level courses and I'm teaching doctoral level seminars, we, I, I help cover the 20. So I'm, I kind of like the person scoring the 20. <laughs> and we have some people covering the P and then we have people covering in the middle. Okay. Um, so when we talk about revisiting space, that work, um, the trigger for that idea was the work that we did on the city as leaders. Yeah, going into- And this yeah. idea that um, we need to think about, we think to think more carefully about how, re- I mean, how we see the relationship between the spaces we have and the languages that are part of it, that they are connected. There is a symbiotic relationship between the languages in the city or the languages in an urban space or the language in a rural, rural area and the people and how the presence of the languages reconstructs that space. So when I say revisiting space means, let's not take for granted that there are already languages in plural in your communities, in your spaces, in your neighborhoods, in your cities, that at least in the case of Latin America, we've always had this traditional notion that um, we have to create bilingual policy plans so we can turn our cities into bilingual cities. And I'm like, no, because that, that, is, that is ignoring the, his, the history of, of all the languages that have been here. And I'm talking about starting with indigenous languages yeah. that were here, that have historically been a part of this. And how even when I think about reasoning space, it's okay, what is my relationship with the, with the indigenous languages in the lands that I inhabit? Do I recognize their presence? When I talk about that second languages, do I, am I just talking about English? Am I talking about Spanish? Am I talking about Chinese? Am I talking about French? Or am I also talking about whatever indigenous languages people would speak or people used to speak mm. in those places? I mean, in the sense of, um, do I recognize that in this, in this part of the city, this part where I live, um, there are at least three or four major indigenous peoples and they have their languages and that if you go to Pennsylvania there are indigenous nations that either inhabited or are still inhabiting the state of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and how we honor them it, it goes beyond the land acknowledgement thing it's it goes beyond the land acknowledgement it's, am I aware of that do I look for that do I recognize that if I see it or do I question do I, do I even question their absence in the conversation. So revisiting space, it's thinking that languages are are actually are, are part of the whole ecosystem, are part of the landscape, yeah. and they create it. As I play with the languages, I create it and I recreate the space. So that's revisiting space. It's not thinking of languages in a static relationship, but thinking more dynamically in the sense of how languages help create new ways of looking and visiting and walking and breathing the city yeah and i mean it's just it's also a, a nod to the fact that everything is so interconnected right you <laughs> can't have a a space that is absent or separate from the language you can't have a country or a culture that is separate from the language right everything is is tied together um so that's really interesting uh then moving to the second one was rethinking language so this uh you already touched on this a little bit this is in your kind of like the gaming world yeah it um, starts it starts with that yeah it starts with lav in the sense of okay we have to start thinking that 
our relationship with language is not it's not static. As it's, as we said, in if language helps recreate space, we also start playing with language. And as we play with language, we start giving language new meaning, and we uh, start using language for different things. And we even start creating language. So when you go in, for example, in into the digital spaces and social media, gaming communities, fan fiction communities, people who speak those languages are playing with them all the time. And they're inventing words and they're creating terms and creating slang. Um, there is so much slang happening. If you, mm. and one example is, uh, for example, it's um, Urban Dictionary. Mm, yeah. Urban Dictionary is a no. It's a beautiful thing, and I I'm, 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 I can I can brag that I have at least five. I have posted on Urban Dictionary. I have proposed <laughs> five or six idioms, and they're already there. So we, I have I have slang that I have myself. I have coined myself. There you go. It's there. <laughs> yeah, it's an Urban Dictionary. Uh, but it's beautiful because it's one of those places that language really becomes democratic. So when I think about rethinking language, just thinking about that. All these new ways of moving around with language, they can create more democratic ways to create, to produce language. That we don't have to wait for the Oxford Dictionary to right. <laughs> give us the thumbs up on a word. That, or in the case of, for example, um, my, my native language, Spanish, that I don't have to wait for the Royal Academy of, La of the Spanish language to green light. Oh, yes, we believe it's perfectly acceptable to use that word. I'm like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> like language no it's kind of like no it, of course no no and i think it kind of reminds me of um there is a movie uh as a wrestling movie it's called um ready to rumble it's a very old movie it starts it's one that started, started uh, david arquette um and and um scott can and at the end of the movie you had the promoter who's uh joe pantoliano and He's like, I created wrestling and then you have the two guys going like no you did not invent wrestling the fans in creative wrestling, the fans mm -hmm. made wrestling. So sometimes mm -hmm. I feel that does, when you have these people going like the, the dictionary, like I created language. I'm like, no, you did not invent language. You did not create language. We, the language people users do. are creating language and we're creating it every single day. You go to the video game communities, you go to the, um, you go to TikTok, you go to TikTok, of you course, go yeah. to Instagram, you go to Twitter and you see language language it's in i mean you can see language laboratories of course well the one that People pops to my language. mind immediately is is noob right this noob. it was it came out of being a newbie to a game somebody who's not very successful with the game right and that term yeah, noob, noob yeah. now is now and used outside of the gaming community yeah, exactly so there are there are expressions outside in the games that move that move um, into other realms. So that is a sense of rethinking language in the sense of, uh, no, language doesn't belong to anyone and it belongs to all of us. Um, and the fact that I, I am venturing into learning a second language um, means I should be able to experiment with the language. Um, if I make mistakes, I'm gonna make, I mean, we all make mistakes. Even in our <laughs> native languages, we make mistakes. But it's that it's that it's the beauty, it's the beauty, that's the beauty of rethinking languages, that there are possibilities for people who are learning languages that who play with it and play with it in different environments and feel like if you that you can still communicate and that even if you make mistakes, people understand you, you can still you can improve on the mistakes, you can correct them, you can, but 
that that should be the larger purpose of okay, what is the largest purpose of language? I think that's what is it that uh, especially you want with language, especially when we look at um, you know some uh, at least in the United States, uh, you know, even specifically Philadelphia. You know, I didn't grow up in Philadelphia. I'm not I'm not a native to Philadelphia, but I know that there are uh, there's different subsets of quote unquote languages that are all the English language, but based on the part of the city that you grow up in, there's different ways that you say things. So just teachers maybe acknowledging that there are different languages, if you would, within our schools that students are using at home. And then they come to school with these languages. Um, and just kind of, I guess that gives you, gives us another filter with which to interact with our students. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I guess that transitions transitions us then into the, the third pillar, which is reinventing education. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, boy, let's just let's just like <laughs> not take off too much off. right here. And it's brazen. No, no, no. And I, I, and I can admit that when I started, I started profiling that vision, it's like, OK, this is a little brazen for um, for this motley crew. Uh, this multi <laughs> of misfits that we call and we call ourselves the legion. So it just gets, we're like, yeah, we're we're brazen, or we're brazen in our goals. But when I think about the idea of reinventing education, uh, it's okay. Let's think about the way we have traditionally taught languages and the goals that we have set for language learning and the possibilities that we afford to students in different spaces, especially in the margins and in the peripheries, to play with language and how we can, through research, because I think that's one of the key elements here is um, how we also create this culture where, listen, it's okay, it's research is there and research is not inaccessible to you, whether to read it or to do it. It's not inaccessible. Research is not the domain of people with PhDs and it's not the domain of people in uh, those big uh, universities uh, around the world. No, that's one level of big R research, but that is also the grassroots, the homegrown kind of research that you can do with your students and that you can do in your schools and that you can do with colleagues that is also transformative. And it's also revolutionary. Um, and in that sense, when you start thinking, and I can think of all this, all the teachers that are part of LSLP, that they started where, you know, with their masters and their masters, they turned it into a project and that, that project became an entire new way to teach the language. And then you have, I have success stories of my students who are in public schools who said they got there, their students didn't even, the students wouldn't even, uh, or it was unfathomable for them to have their teachers speak to them in English. And three months later, they were engaged and they were writing papers and they were making videos. Um, and I had students, I mean, and I had teachers working with students in public schools, making websites and creating, and again, making, making podcasts, so to speak. Um, use, I mean, making newsletters on issue and that, and yeah. that, and it's like going back to that question, the question I, I was posing when I started watching TV, what is in it, what's in it for me? What can I get from this? I mean, even if it's just the satisfaction of watching TV, that at the moment, that can later, you can later take that 
and turn it into something else. And I can see because I work. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I work with all my all my researchers, and I and we talked about this. And you can see the transformation in the students when they realize, oh, I can use these languages to tell a story to the world and tell a story about my neighborhood and tell a story about my life and tell a story about my, my, my things I like and I can be part of fan groups. And, as that, and that is a way to reinvent education as in how can we help these students discover their voice? And how can we help them use that language they're learning to discover their voice and the power of their voice and the power of the stories that they deserve to tell? And how we can turn the school into a place where we can start creating stories and we can start creating narratives of change and we can start creating narratives of transformation. So we can start thinking that even if it's something as simple as make a small 30 second TikTok in that language you're learning, that that 30 second TikTok can be the butterfly, can be, can be the butterfly effect, can be yeah. the butterfly wings that are later going to feel that are going to are going to push the hurricane. I mean, it's it's that it's the whole idea that if I want to reinvent education, I have to think that. Even with the smallest things, I can have lofty goals. Yeah. And even the smallest actions that I do can be transformative and can be revolutionary. Well, and it goes back to what of, yeah. it goes back to what you were saying with the the idea of the language. You don't need the per, you don't need Oxford Dictionary to tell you that this is a word, and you don't need it like uh, uh, invention doesn't come from top down, right? A corporate company doesn't say the CEO doesn't say, "Hey, we need to invent more." right? Here's the invention that I want. No, it starts at the bottom and it comes up through. So um, uh, us as teachers in our classrooms, we are the the uh, place where all of this experimental stuff, this little r research can happen. And yeah, and it's it goes into that the idea that um, like classrooms should be laboratories. Yeah. And classrooms should be research laboratories. So one of the things I'm trying to get, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say my, my research team has bought into is the idea of um, we can do this. And the idea that even in, in the sense of our research lab, they they realize, oh, I, I myself, the teacher, also, because it's when you connect reinventing education is, okay, yeah, validate the stories and the voices of the, of the students, but also at the same time, validating the voices and the, and the, and the narratives and the stories of the teachers in the sense that the teachers have stories to tell, and you can turn that story into a peer-reviewed article that can get published, that you can turn that story into a conference presentation you can take to a small local conference, but that you can also take to the ARA conference, and that you can, and that they have the potential to do it. And I've had some of my teachers presenting at ARA. I have my teachers presenting at LRA. I had teachers of mine presenting at the national conferences and bringing groundbreaking research that is happening in the classrooms, it's happening with the students. Right. And when they realize, and when teachers realize, I mean, teachers know they have stories to tell, is that sometimes teachers don't realize that the way they tell it is the way that should be told. Hmm. Because nobody has told it. no, no, no. For my, some people haven't told them, listen, the way you're telling the story, that's the way it should be told. 
just tell it, I mean, maybe just what we can, and that's where we say, for example, as um, teacher educators or the researchers at the um, university level, we can help them mold, let's say the format into the article or mold the format into the conference presentation. We can mentor them. And I think um, for me, part of my work with them is has been mentoring um, a generation of researchers, in, I mean, of local researchers who are now also meant they're also mentoring yeah. their own researchers. So, and I feel that would be the success of this. It's in, but in the sense of also when I talk about reinventing education, I'm also talking about the community, the community building part of it. Mm. And I think LSLP has been successful, uh, not so much or not only because of the amount of presentations and publications that we have, that it's staggering. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, well, I, I can mean, say even, this. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can think about how many research groups around the world can say, yeah, we can go to an international conference, a two-day conference, and submit 13 papers from wow. 20 people. Yeah. Like, yeah, show me how, I mean, show me how many research teams <laughs> around the world can do that. That, oh, I can say, I, I have 20 people ready to send 13 papers for one weekend. Like, yeah, show me that. But that's one part of it. The other part is the community we have built. When you talk about this idea of the legion, it's we are a community that takes care of each other. And I think sometimes we forget about that part in research. We worry too much about the publication. We worry too much about um, the conference paper. We worry too much about, oh yeah, you have to put this in a peer review journal, but we don't worry about, are we nurturing the people we work with? Are we taking care of each other? Um, Are we creating supporting communities? Are we creating this sense of comunidad, this sense of, of togetherness that when we have something and like this year has been a, was a challenge for us, um, course, the whole yeah. COVID. No, because we had to move everything digitally and we had to re- reinvent our digital community so we could still support each other. And we had moments that were tough. We had students, a couple of students got COVID and a couple of their, uh, and some of the in some cases of students whose parents had COVID. Um, we had to deal with student breakups and we had to deal with students um, like a couple of students. I mean, I think one, one student, he lost his puppy. And and those are, and yeah, you can say, real things. And you can say, yeah, but and you can say, you can dismiss it, uh, no big deal, whatever. Um, yeah, so your dog, you, uh, so yeah, your your puppy died, just get another one. I mean, some people, and, and, and there some are administrators. Some people have that mindset, yeah. No, no, no. And there are, there are administrators with that mindset. Oh yeah, your puppy died. Just get another one. But dude, that is that the community we want to raise? Is that the community we want to create? If one of my students tells me our dog, my dog passed away, and I tell it, I tell everybody, this be and and we all we know that when someone is down, we all have to rally around that person and, and lift them up. Because and and, and they have and I can self-honestly say it, they have lifted me up when I've been down these eight years my my legion when i've needed them they have yeah. rallied around me and as and when they have been down i'm the first person who runs to to pick them up from the ground and then everybody comes behind and that has been for me that is the, the real success story the real well, success I mean, story is just, not the papers it's not the publications it's not the books we want to inevitably inevitably write it's we have created a community where we do research and we actually like each other. <laughs> well, I mean, and you're just you're, the real success of this is that 
you're you're oozing all this passion and it's it just it speaks so much to the work that you're doing and and the what you care about doing and the people that you're working with and how you care about that you sound like a teacher <laughs> you sound like the teacher that i hope uh, I am we a can teacher. all be i mean i always like and it's funny because i i even and i can say honestly say that i've even come to terms with that the use of the word teacher i mean it's funny and i say that because um like my students some of them are not they I mean, since in, in Colombian Spanish, we don't make a difference between teacher and professor. We just okay. we use the same word. So when I started teaching, professor. I mean, yeah, exactly. So no, it, so they call me. So my students call me teacher. And at the beginning, at the beginning of my career, I was like, no, 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 it's professor. It's professor. And I, 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 I've been at a point that, you know what? I don't care anymore. If they call me teacher or more, I'm, it's fine. I mean, they know I'm a professor, but it's like. Professor is just my title. It's not what I do. I'm a pro. I mean, professor is just my title. But you are a teacher. teacher. You are an educator. No, teacher is why. Yeah. No, I am a teacher. Yeah. I was. I mean, and for me, being in the classroom, and even if I'm not in the classroom, even when I'm working with my researchers, it's. Um, no, I'm their teacher. I'm their teacher. I'm their mentor. I and I have to take that responsibility. I have to, and I really feel like I have to wear the mantle. Um, and it's and it's also been difficult for me as a now as a mid career scholar. Coming to <laughs> no, no, no. You it's, said no, that no. with such like. Uh, oh, because I'm, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 46. I'm 46, so I feel like I'm <laughs> half the time feel like I'm I'm, I'm still in middle, and sometimes I feel I'm over the hill. Well, you um, look fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but it's no. In the last two years, even the notion of oh, I'm a role model for, uh, or I've become for some reason a role model for the younger cadres of scholars coming in the field that now I go to a conference and students are now are listening to like, okay, let's hear what Dr. Mora has to say. And I'm like, really? You really want us to be? Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't take myself too seriously. My, I don't take my advice too seriously sometimes. I'm scared. When I'm, 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 I'm legitimately scared when I hear that students are coming, asking for advice. I'm like, like me? Like, I'm, I'm just a guy with the wacky hair and the tattoos. I'm like, <laughs> me but at the same time i feel like when they come for the advice i should give them the best advice i can humanly i humanly can but it's yeah. because i had mentors in my life and mentors in my career and i'm talking about like pretty much all the way since i was in grad school who went out of the way to give me the best advice they humanly could so i yeah. think i feel like i need to pay it forward yeah pay it forward um, but it's in the sense, I really, I mean, for me, and I, and I, I like to think that teaching and research have to come together. So, my research informs my teaching, and I use my teaching to create more research. And I yeah. think if teachers begin to understand that the source of the the source of the research is not in a faraway place, that and this is the this is the only message for the young teachers who are want to start thinking how can I do research. The source of your the source of your research is not in a faraway place. The source of your research is going to be in your classroom. Mm -hmm. And even if you go into grad school and you go for your PhD, you're going to realize that a lot of the work you're constructing as a teacher educator, it's going to go back to those days when you were teaching sixth grade, you're teaching seventh grade. Um, like a lot of my agenda yeah. started working with my little eight, nine-year-old um, Tykes when I was teaching English in 1993, and it goes back to the work I was doing with my students, um, my sixth and seventh grade students when we did karaoke in my class and <laughs> all, all stuff like that. That that all that journey 
got me to this point, that all that journey got me to the idea that, oh, I want to revisit space, re, uh, rethink language and reinvent education. So, so that it's not, it's not disconnected. And that disconnecting your journey from your research, it is ingenious and, is that, and it does a disservice to yourself. And no matter, at the end of the day, be, be true to yourself. I mean, sometimes some people, some people are not gonna like it. Some people are gonna make your life a living hell for that. <laughs> But per, no, but persevere. But you, in, but nevertheless, you you pers you persevere. Yeah. Well, this is this is I've I've just enjoyed sitting back for the last I don't know, 20, 20, 30 minutes or so and just hearing you just spout your passion and and the truth of what you're saying. And so anybody who's been in the education career uh, echoes everything that you're saying. Um, but it is very refreshing to hear somebody say it back to you. Um, so thank you so much for for joining me today. Um, we I hope we covered everything that you wanted to cover. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, maybe. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, because I really have no, I mean, this is the things I mean, I just kind of, I kind of, I, and I told you, the idea was to, let's see what happens with the questions and yeah, just give, tell you, tell you what I think. Um, yeah, because and I I've, I've, I've come to the point where this matters. Sorry. I've come yeah. to the point with this podcast where I, I think there are, uh, you know, I set out to kind of come away with every single episode with actionable steps for teachers. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, you know, honestly, sometimes just having conversations and letting the gears turn inside the listener's head, there, there's some value to that too. And I think uh, there's been plenty of gears that I'm, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks for saying that. Oh, thanks for saying that. So I appreciate your time so much. Uh, let's move into our exit ticket questions. These are the same four questions that I wrap up every conversation with and all of the answers and everything that we've talked about, uh, everything will be linked in our show notes, including, uh, the link to, uh, your S or LSLP website, um, which ton of resources on there. You've, uh, you've, presented all over the world with some of the work that you're doing. You've got connections with people all over the world. I was looking at, you know, Europe and, and South Africa or South America and Oceania. It's, it's just everywhere, um, which is super, super cool. So um, exit ticket questions. Here we go. First one is, do you have a book recommendation for teachers to read? Hmm. Uh, well, I'm thinking right now, I mean, this is because there are several um, like, Last year, recently, I read the um, "We Want to Do More Than Survive" by Bettina Love, by Dr. Bettina Love. I definitely, I, uh, Tina, you're listening to this. A lot of love to you. <laughs> you're the truth. You're the real deal. That book has Take come up, book. I think, probably four I got another times. Book. I got a second. I got a book that I'm going to start reading because um, I know it's been hitting the rounds, and it's the uh, "Cultivating Genius" by Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Uh, and Goldie, if you're listening to this, you know. All the love to you, you know, you know it. I don't need to say it. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm really intrigued by that book because I've read some really good reviews and said when I'm coming, um, that's coming right um, up my alley of my list of things to read. So I would start with those two. Um, and I would say um, definitely if you're interested in the field of like literacy and all that, just anywhere you want to start is a good start. Um, that's true but yeah. no because no because one of the things about the field of literacy is you're not gonna i mean in literacy the way we kind of like the literacy scholars talk about it it's that we are not about giving you recipes and the people i know who do the work in literacy they don't give you no, it's not about recipes it's about helping you discover 
how to transform your classroom. So it's I, that's why I can say no. I mean, I I've read a lot of books in the field of literacy, and what I get from those books is I inspiration to go do my thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's true. Every anytime I I turn on a podcast before school and I'm I'm driving to school listening to something and it, you know it just it gives you that spark and it gives you that that motivation. So, um, yeah, I love that. Uh, question two would be, what resources would you uh, recommend teachers go look at? And this could be, I guess, your website. <laughs> well, you can. I mean, of course, you can look at my two websites, <laughs> me, because I have my I have the research lab, but I also have my personal website where I'm constantly adding. Um, some of the stuff I do with my students. Um, I would say definitely look at YouTube. Um, right now, I mean, there are a lot of committed educators um, who are putting some really, really interesting channels. Um, my only recommendation in that resource is uh, look at the, look at the look at the creator street cred. Street cred. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, first of all, in the sense of have these people been in schools? Yeah, of course. Are these people doing research? What kind of, I mean, are these people involved as uh, in some level of advocacy or what levels of, or in some level of activism, understanding activism as something very layered that can be boots on the ground, on the streets, mobilizing or doing the heavy reflective critical thinking that we need in teacher education programs and in classrooms. So I'm not, I, I, Think of activism as a very, I mean, as an umbrella term that covers a lot of spaces and we need all of those spaces. But I would say, look at the street grid. So is this I something- ne I've never get... heard of them. So I'm well, excited no, in to the sense of look at, look at this person. So who's this person? Is this person a researcher? Is this person a writer? Does this person do research? Is this, is this person involved in teaching? Or is it just someone who just writes books for a publisher and is disconnected from the school system? I mean. Who, like, yeah, I mean, Observe look that. at the street credit. The I mean, what this person brings to the table. So if you're going to look at my website, don't look at, look at, again, look at my, look and check my street cred. Um, and test my street cred. And if it's, if it's, if, if it's legit, then check the material. But I think don't, uh, and that's why I'm really hesitant to suggest that because I tend to, I said, that's, I would say instead, do a little bit of critical media literacy and question the source. Find out about this person. Look at, look, I mean, is this person active? Is this person engaged? Is this person an activist? Is this person an advocate? Yeah. Um, or is, okay. this someone, is this someone <laughs> just looking at this from afar? I thought you were saying that there was a YouTube channel called Street Cred. That no, 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 I love it. Um, yeah, but obviously a great, you know, where, where do they come from? Uh, what have they been, you know, what, what, why should we listen to what they're saying? Like, what have they done? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. Okay. Thank you for, for clarifying that. Uh, question three then is uh, what advice would you have to teachers who uh, maybe particularly teachers who are just starting out their careers? What advice would you give them? Oh, that's an easy one. Just, I mean, start by being yourselves. Um, be, I mean, be true to yourselves because sometimes it, I mean, you're going to find that, um, there are many teachers who after many years in the field, they start feeling jaded. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you feel jaded because, uh, you start being, you start being true to yourself and, or sometimes it's because the system itself undermines you. But if you stay true to yourself, you can find ways to, to survive. You can find ways to navigate it. Um, 
also make sure to engage your students in ways that matter to the two of you, the students and yourselves. Yeah, find that common and ground. Always, and always challenge your students. I, I'm a firm believer that if you give a student a chance to bring their A game, they will bring it, as long as you give them a good reason to. So mm. challenge your students and, and invite them to bring their A game to everything you do in class, but give them a reason for it. Give them a good reason. As I like to tell mm. my students, I can tell you, I'm going to tell you all the secrets. I'm a teacher, not a magician. You can learn the secrets behind <laughs> I can show you all the secrets. But I always give them, I mean, I, I do slam poetry with my with my, with my um, pre-service teachers. I and the that, first time yeah. I, and the first time I mentioned that, they're like, they look at me like I'm out <laughs> of my mind. Like I'm, I'm completely like, oh my God, he's as crazy. He's as crazy as they told us he was. <laughs> and I explained to them why. And then when we do this land poetry and we listen to this land poetry, you can see in the students this new vision of themselves and how they see their classmates differently. And that transformation is, okay, I, we did something. And I told them, it's not just an assignment. Don't treat this as just an assignment. Don't worry about the grade. I mean, if as far as I'm concerned, if everybody does it well, they can all get A's. Um, administrators be damned. Um, so, oh no, because that's as it should be. We should challenge the students. When you challenge them, you give them a good reason that is honest and truthful. They'll bring their A game, and they'll give you something that you're gonna that is gonna make you go wow. Regardless of the age, you just challenge them and give them a reason to bring their A game every single day of the class. Love it. All right. And then the last question is, uh, if anybody has any questions about what we talked about or just wants to reach out to you, where would be the best place to send them? Well, um, I think, I, I, mean, there are, I mean, I have different social media outlets. So um, definitely I invite you to, I mean, you can contact me there. I mean, if you go to my, go to my websites, we have, email, we have the uh, content information for the emails. Um, I mean, I try to be occasionally, I, I pop up on Twitter and my handle is El Patron himself. Um, that is also LSL, LSLP Legion. That's the one for the research lab. Um, and that's an easy way to start reaching out. I mean, social media is another bad place to start. Awesome. And we will have all of your accounts linked up on our show notes page uh, so that everybody can just head over there and uh, find them pretty easily. So. Uh, yeah, wow. Dr. Uh, Raul Alberto Mora, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. This pleasure. has been a joy. It was a pleasure. It's been joyful. It's been, it's been a beautiful way to end the week. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. All right. And there you go. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I, I probably always end every conversation this way, but just wow. Uh, I am so thrilled to have uh, sat down with Dr. Mora and uh, obviously a huge shout out and a thank you to him for joining me. Um first thing to start with is is really just this notion that language is not designed uh on purpose right uh it's not developed and uh controlled by the dictionary editors it is alive and it thrives with uh, populations and cultures. And uh, anybody who has spent any time in a hallway of any school, uh, you can't go a week without hearing a word. You go, what What word was that? <laughs> you know, uh, recently for, for me this year, it was, it's yeet, right? My, my students are just yelling yeet left and right. 
Um, and you know, the year before that, you know, you can, you can kind of go year by year and say, okay, this, this is the new word this year. Right. And that's just further proof that language lives with our students. Um, so as a teacher, experiment with these words, uh, ask kids what these words mean to engage with them. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe Google the words first because <laughs> maybe they're not uh, totally school appropriate and maybe <laughs> the kids shouldn't be describing what those words mean, but I digress. Um, it's, it's a great way to engage the students and uh, it's a great way to just uh, help them help you be relevant, I guess is where I wanted to go with that. Um, so yeah, engage with them uh, through their language, um, which again is, is always changing. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to highlight is that, uh, and I've said this before too on this podcast, is that our classrooms, and, and uh, Dr. Raul uh, said it perfectly, our classrooms are research laboratories, right? We have the opportunity to do lowercase r research every day. Um, and you're already doing that, aren't you? You know, as, as you try a new tactic or you try a new resource or, or a, whatever it is, that in and of itself is micro research. And um, every teacher, I, I really do believe every teacher has a story to tell that could benefit another teacher. Right. And that doesn't have to be just the teacher across the hall. Um, so find ways to engage in the, again, little R research uh, and share it with, you know, uh, through papers or through research articles or uh, through conferences. Um, really ponder that and and see if there's a way that you can share your story uh, with more teachers who might need to hear it. So, uh, yeah, our classrooms are research laboratories whether you know it or not. <laughs> um, so I, I just thought that those two things were, were worthy of highlighting. Uh, again, thank you for being a listener of this show. I appreciate you being here. Uh, anything that you heard today, go check out the show notes page, jabadoo.com slash show 29. Links to sign up for the newsletter, links to all of our social media outposts, links to the books that you heard uh, and the exit ticket questions, links to the Jabadoo t-shirts, uh, all that good stuff. Again, jabadoo.com slash show 29. And until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.